this guy I knew, he was a, a computer hacker. And he was he was a little bit younger than me. He was like a millennial. And uh, him and his girlfriend were like hacking into the system. And I was, I was like along for the ride. I wasn't really understanding what they were doing. And they were always saying, yeah, we're doing this real old school. But like for him, old school was like the year like 2002 or something. That was like super old school, you know. So I was following along and um, it was some kind of a virtual reality or something. There were all these different nodes and these different things and like he was, it was almost like he used to have a company and he was trying to like leave his calling card in certain places, a logo or something. It was, uh, yeah, I couldn't really figure it out. But, I guess back in the real world, there was like a big problem. There's all these people that had to get out of there to this, right? Um, and they were so desperate, they hired a bus driver from another dimension, right? It was like sort of a woman in this bus. It looked kind of normal, but she was from a completely other world, right? And she was completely confused, but she was trying to help. So this huge crowd of people rushing like to get into the bus and she was uh she had these like forms everyone had to fill out that were like just completely incomprehensible she was trying to explain no you have to fill in the the name of of the 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 fire or something like all these weird phrases here fill it out and like she was accidentally like hurting and killing people not out of any malice but because she was uh just completely she was like from another dimension and, you know, like trying to like move the papers around and stuff. She was like actually killing people. But eventually a lot of these people got on the bus. They, it was such a bad situation. They got on anyway and it was like horrific. And I just, I saw what was going on and I'm like, I like backed away. I'm like, no, I, I'm i not going to be a part of this. <coughs> we have some cold medicine here. As you can tell, I have a cold. My voice is shot. Plus, it's the middle of the night. What time is it? 4.46. Yeah, I've been having trouble sleeping because of this cold. Anyway, um, the next morning, I have uh, some more Alka-Seltzer Plus. See, I had some that was non-drowsy, but I want the drowsy version because I do want to try to go back to sleep. Anyway, I'm spilling it all over everything. Um, the next morning, <coughs> I was there and everyone else had gone. There, there was like a few people left. And I asked this guy, this this other guy that was there, I'm like, like last night, like how many people got killed with this bus driver from another dimension? And he's like, I think about 30 people got killed. I'm like, oh man, that's terrible. So I guess later on that morning, the uh, I was all alone. And the bus pulled up. It was that same bus driver from the night before. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to be very careful. I'm going to like really try to follow all of the instructions. And I really have to get out of here. So I got on. I'm like, hey, how's it going? She's like, okay. So, uh, here's the form to fill out. And like, it was just like an alien language. It was, it was like bizarre. I remember like, uh, 
I'm trying to think exactly what it was. It was like a, you had to give your address and like your full name. But then there were all these little boxes you had to fill out. It was like her identifier. It was like Y-I-R-A or something you had to put in. And eventually I just filled out all I could. And then eventually she just accepted it and uh, drove us to Missouri, drove me to Missouri where I met up with those other, the, the computer hackers in Missouri, right? Medicine, very good. I hope this is the drowsy kind. <laughs> <coughs> this cold is really bad. It's like I, I, I got it over the weekend, and now it's getting even worse. Anyway, um, so we got to Missouri, and we rented a truck, right? So we were driving the truck, and we were we we're like really. Nerve, like the guy, the millennial guy was like really nervous about getting pulled over. And so like we passed all these cops and stuff and he's like, you know, he he was like driving a little bit too fast. And, the, and there was like this truck pulled over by the side of the road and a policeman there and he's like, you know, he couldn't really slow down. He's like, Ugh, I just passed by there way too fast. Should I speed up to try to get away or should I slow down in case he's following us and just so he, you know, doesn't doesn't make it seem like I was like on the run or something. I mean, just just be cool, just be cool, you know. Then I later on I was driving and it was so aggravating. We were in Missouri and we we're on like this residential street, and there's all these like parents and children. Like we were like we were driving almost almost like a big sidewalk, and these kids just kept running across the street. It was so aggravating, and they were like. The kids were like tiny. They were almost only only like like one foot tall or something. It was weird. And one of these weird like Missouri fathers like waved at me because I I was still driving super slow and I waved back. And, what the hell? We gotta find the we gotta. And then the woman, the girlfriend, had like this scanner and she's like, "He's on the canyon, <laughs> right?" So we were right by the Grand Canyon, right? And uh, so. We were like driving down these back roads and finally we just went on foot. And then there it was, like just right across the street, the Grand Canyon. And this guy, the hacker guy, had never seen it before. He's like, that's it? It's just across the street? It's just like right here? The canyon is like like right there. It's crazy. It was like like a little cul-de-sac. And on the other side was just the Grand Canyon. I'm like, and, and it was glorious. It was amazing. It wasn't quite as good as the part I went to in 2019, but uh, it was just jaw-dropping looking down into the canyon. And uh, I said to him, yeah, you know, I, I was first here a couple years ago. You know, I saw the Grand Canyon. It really, like, it's a life-changing experience seeing the Grand Canyon. He's like, yeah, look at this. amazing. So the, the, the girlfriend was like, he's on the move. Let's go. So we were about to, like, just, I guess, climb over. It wasn't even a fence. It was just like a little concrete barrier, like climb over it and go into the Grand Canyon to find who it is that we were looking for. But at that point, I woke up. (laughs) Yes. (coughs) What a dream. What a dream. (coughs) (coughs) Wow. That's not good.
Sorry for coughing so much. Uh, anyway, 4.52, I figured I would come down here and record, and uh, I was going to write down the dream, but I'm like, no, let me just, <laughs> let me, uh, let me get it fresh, fresh off, fresh off the dream press, you know? So that's my dream. See, my voice is getting a little bit better. Yeah, That was my dream here at 4.52 a.m. <laughs> is that insane? A bus driver from another dimension was accidentally killing people like while they're trying to get on the bus in the Grand Canyon in Missouri. The guy was definitely inspired by a guy, a guy at work that... Uh, we went when we went out to that beer hall. He was there, and he was like a millennial. You know, I think he considered himself to be pretty old, even though he was a lot younger than me. <laughs> but yeah, there was a lot more of the dream, like the hackers, like the hacking process that I was following along, and I just really did not understand what they were doing. But it was like somehow it was like very important. And then the whole like evacuation thing where they're desperate and hired a bus driver from another dimension. I have no idea what we were getting away from. Like refugees of some sort. And uh, yeah, the driving in Missouri was, was very weird. Like that, that the, those little miniature children and that father, regular sized father, the, just the way he looked, like he just sort of, it was so like, like a guy from the South. He just sort of nodded as I drove by and, because I was being very careful for all the miniature children on the street. <laughs> wow. That's some dream. Some combination of all this cold medicine brewed up a good one. <laughs> Anyways, I'll be back a bit later when I'm a bit more awake. Oh, wait, I'm still here. It's 4.57. Um, yeah, last night I was going to watch the baseball game. As it was the Cleveland Guardians against the Yankees, the final game of the series to get into the American League Championship Series. But there was a rain delay. I watched some of the game the night before where Cleveland could have clinched it. I'm definitely rooting for Cleveland as I as I really I really hate the Yankees. And Cleveland, uh, right, they haven't won the World Series since 1948. And they changed their name from the Indians to the Guardians recently. Last night was would have been the deciding game, but it was on a rain delay. It was very, really heavy rain last night. So let me see if that ever happened. I, I have no idea here if it happened. Did the game happen? Let's see. Uh, hmm. Postponed. Oh, look. The game was postponed, and it's going to be happening today at 4.07 p.m. Wow. It's funny, we recently had an Overnight Scape Central talking about baseball and football. I normally don't spend any time watching these sports, but this looks like a really interesting uh, postseason for baseball because uh, like the Padres are in, they've never won World Series. Padres versus the Phillies on the National League Championship Series, and then the Yankees or the Guardians. <laughs> so weird, the Guardians will face uh, Houston Astros. So, yeah, I'll, I'll watch that later on. 
Rooting for Cleveland, of course. It's about, I think it's about time to go back to bed. I think I got I think I got a few more hours sleep. Yes, it is eight oh eight AM right now. Making some coffee. And um yeah, I was uh I was able to get some more sleep and actually the dream continued. The story of the dream continued in some ways. Though not the Grand Canyon part, which there's one thing I forgot to mention. When we got to the Grand Canyon, the hacker guy was like why does the town just have it right, right here? Like, why, why isn't there some sort of grand entranceway or something? And I said, well, they're probably too busy paying money for other things than to recognize the beauty of nature around them. You know? Um, so anyway, continuing it, really, the dream continued about that computer system, that behind-the-scenes thing uh, that the hacker was hacking into. At first, I was able to try to log in and get some of the designs or patterns that I had made in there. Um, right. There were these, like, designs of concentric rings that were very painstakingly made. And they def that, that was definitely inspired by the, um, the opening sequence to the Rings of Power, the Amazon TV show. Which uh, finished up the first season, so I wanted to talk about that as well. But um, then later on, we sort of, there was this evil one, which again, kind of, I think is inspired by Lord of the Rings. And what we had been fighting all along was the plan of the evil one, which was, uh, right, in some way the evil one was like blocked from influencing people directly but through this system found these cracks in the system and was able to sort of uh, attack the problem from the other side like, like it was he was the evil one was able to um, create these like cracks or fissures in the system and people's data or the people themselves actually would start to sort of leak out downwards in the other direction then he created these like rivulets these like uh, pathways to sort of uh, gain the people's souls or their trust or their actual selves or something it was really weird like when we finally found out about the actual um, the mechanism behind it and what the evil one was doing and it does kind of sound like how the rings of power actually worked in, in Tolkien's work Right, sort of secretly from another direction, like binding or controlling people. I guess you could also say, like, I was I was listening to something yesterday, like a, a, a YouTube video about um, TikTok and how it was created with these nefarious purposes to take over the world and stuff, and uh, that could have inspired it as well. And then later on in the dream, there was a lot going on related to this this new anime show about this kid who was like a sponge. And that also could have been inspired by um, a strange phenomenon I saw on that baseball game a couple nights ago where there was a certain player on the Cleveland Guardians who was related in some way. Like, they would always show, like, SpongeBob SquarePants dolls when this guy came up. I think they were implying 
the sports announcers were implying that he wanted to play the SpongeBob SquarePants like theme song when he goes up to bat, and then the, there were people dressed up as Sp- SpongeBob and holding dolls as SpongeBob. This is real, by the way, not a dream. <laughs> I'm sure I could look it up, but there was like this weird. It was sort of like a Sponge version of uh, of Luffy from uh, from One Piece, right? It was like this weird. So I was talking to someone. I'm like, well, they're like, you really like that anime show, right? I'm like, yeah, well, it's one of the best anime in recent years. About the Sponge Boy. The hell. But yeah, the uh the Rings of Power, wow. It's it was of course uh the series based on the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and the Silmarillion. That Amazon bought the rights just to the existing, uh, the the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, the ones that were previously licensed out, not the Silmarillion or any any of the other works, spent like two hundred and fifty million dollars on obtaining the rights, and really were trying to figure out what to do with these rights, and then eventually came up with a show set in the Second Age, thousands of years before the action that we saw in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Hey, yeah, I had to pause there. We'll get back to The Rings of Power in a moment. It's a little bit later now. Um, And I cracked it. Yes, I solved it. Working on today's show art. Um, You know, I've been uh, working on that. uh, The Complete Polarized Worlds, the what's going to wind up being seven or eight hours long video behind the scenes of making our Doctor Who fan film in 1985. And I've been taking uh, screenshots of the video. And one of them is me as the Black Guardian. Uh, Great costume, as you see there in the show art. I'm there in my parents' basement. It's still the same today with the wood-paneled walls, fake wood paneling. There's the light switch with the brown cover. And I'm wearing like a... (laughs) Dressed up as an actual Doctor Who character, the Black Guardian, sort of like a master of all... Like sort of the force of evil in the universe. And there's also a white guardian. I had sunglasses, a big hat, and (laughs) winter gloves on. And uh, I'm laughing there. I thought that was a great shot. So last night, I'm like, I really want to use this shot as the show art. And I even found the font, this font, Vulcane, that looked really good. And um, I'm like, what should I call it, though? Well, I'm a villain. And I looked. I haven't used the word villain in any of my show titles. I think the only time it came up in a title on Ansug is uh, there was a, a central about villains. I also remember there were gonna there was rumors back in the 90s they were going to create a villains theme park in Disney World based on all the villains. So anyway, I'm like, well, of course, there's always heroes and villains. The Beach Boys song. And I did have an episode called In the Cantina based on that lyric from Heroes and Villains, but showing an outtake image from the Star Wars creature cantina from the first Star Wars movie. I'm like, yeah, heroes and villains doesn't really work. Then Then I realized, well, wait a minute. How about that Beatles song that you hear this guy say, serviceable, serviceable villain? Right, I think I found it here 
from I Am the Walrus. They were listening to the radio. It was King Lear, a performance of King Lear by Shakespeare. Serviceable villain. And as a huge Beatles fan, I've heard this song so many times. Serviceable villain. Sit you down, Father, rest you. Yes. Anyway, so I'm like, how about serviceable villain? So I typeset that, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, no. That doesn't really feel completely right. How about something that sounds like serviceable, but just is a little bit changed? I couldn't think of anything last night. So, you know, they say when you sleep on it, you come up with something. So I came over here, and I saw the artwork. And by the way, the type there, it goes from gray to green. And it's interesting because somehow in the way the video was captured, the very left-hand side of the screen is, is gray, like it has no color, and the far right-hand side of the screen is green. So I, I, I took that, uh, that pattern. I'm like, how about service station? Instead of serviceable villain, service station villain. It just came to me this morning, and... Uh, I don't know how much sense it makes, but it just, wow, it just works. It works for me. It's cool because that font, that font, it's from that page, Licini fonts, the guy, I guess as his master's thesis, like digitized super obscure fonts. Um, it almost has a vibe of like the Radio Shack font, but it's the perfect font for the use. And uh, so I think the term service station as a gas station that we would say here, or petrol station in Britain, whatever. Uh, the term service station is, is kind of an archaic term. Oh, I'm going to go to the service station. But I had that one vision once where that's always stuck with me, you know, where I was in this uh, ancient interior space and it was like the next world over. And it, there was like this miniature gas station or service station almost like a model you might see at like a trade show or something. And I knew it had been there for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Throwing into question all sorts of things. And I think it was when I was on vacation, maybe in Montreal or something. And I remember, I think it was earlier this year when I went to the America on Wheels Museum in Allentown, Pennsylvania. They had a miniature gas station there that kind of gave me a similar vibe. Um, So service station villain... (laughs) sort of based on serviceable villain. Oh, wow, I just love it. It just works. So I have to type. I, I didn't finish typesetting the overnight scape and stuff. I'm just going to... I think I got this size right here. But I'm, yeah, I'm going to, like... I guess I'll just put the overnight scape underneath. I'm going to do some live graphic design here. Like some, Like sometimes where you just sort of randomly put something is, like, perfect. So I usually duplicate the layer just to keep it just in case. But, you know, I could see, like, you know, trying to make it an even amount, right? So what would that be about, um, uh, 35 pixels? That looks good. Yeah. Service station villain. (laughs) Uh, See, maybe sometimes being sick, like, helps helps with your creative process. I don't know, man. These weird dreams. And... But it's interesting. I think as I, as I sort of mentioned, um, 
you know, uh, I've been following these uh, conspiracy theories online, um, flat Earth, and then as it sort of dovetails into tar- 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 Tartaria, however you pronounce that. I don't know if anyone knows how to pronounce that. And sort of the remarkable pattern that is perhaps not so remarkable given the uh, state of things. I do want to get into this, though, the whole the whole situation. But it does have to do with uh, aspects of what happened in the past. Let's see, the overnight escape. See, live graphic design on the show here. The, no, not the overnight station, the overnight escape. Why did I... I guess I'm still half awake. Ooh, that font looks good. There you go. Let's see. Is that good spacing or... Yeah, I don't know. I think it, I think it should go down. What do you think? What happened? You know what I'm saying? I don't think it should be 35 from the bottom of the image, from, but from the bottom of the... The bottom of the actual art. It feels a little constricted there. Here we go. Okay. Let me see how that feels. Mm, That's not working either. All right. I think I have to take this offline. Do a little graphic design work here. See what feels right. I thought it would be fine, but it just doesn't feel good. Okay. I think putting it on the left. Yes. Putting it on the the left from the bottom. That works. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right, I think I got it. I, I, I got it. Uh, yep. The spacing is good now on Service Station Villain. But what is a Service Station Villain? Well, you could remember back in the, the, the gas crisis, my father always tells the story about, you know, back in the 70s, he had to wait online for like six hours to get gas, and then this guy cut the line. And uh, my father almost like got in, a, got in a huge fight with the guy and, it was a whole thing. So there are the service station villains, especially when there's a gas crisis. Though I don't know if that's the main meaning. I don't know. It just it just looks cool. It's a cool image of me as a villain, a service station villain. Actually, a little looks a little bit like that Mike Jitloff character. I'm late. Remember that one? Which was probably made a few years before this, but I would have have no idea who he was at the time. Though I do think I saw a little bit of some articles about him in. Uh, Starlog magazine, but certainly not to inspire this costume. So, back to the Rings of Power, right? So, my memory from the 70s and 80s especially of the kind of renewed interest in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien um, I know it was sort of with the rise of the hippie culture which we'll be talking about later in a different context, that uh, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings became uh, popular again, repopularized in America, I think, especially. And that interest in that kind of uh, fantasy setting, right, was uh, very much um, on the rise with the Dungeons and Dragons and, and then that genre, which has uh, become such a huge part of our lives in terms of especially video games, but also movies and TV shows and things. Uh, High fantasy with 
in a medieval type world with monsters and magic and things like that that uh is often you know attributed to Tolkien for kind of uh making popular though I always try to point out that uh, Fritz Leiber's work with Fafford and the Grey Mouser which I finally finished all those audiobooks um was a, was also a great inspiration but certainly dwarves elves halflings very very much Tolkien and Tolkien was also very inspired by a lot of other works, and I've delved into that a little bit. Like there's a book called The Worm Ouroboros that I read some of that was an inspiration to Tolkien. Um, anyway, I recall there was this incredible sense of, for lack of a better term, a magical sense about Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, especially as a kid hearing about it and it was something that wasn't really... It was something that you would imagine more than see, right? The early Dungeons & Dragons books with their very kind of naive, amateurish illustrations perfectly captured that sort of half-imagined and half-delineated uh, fantasy world, right? It almost sparked your imagination more that the drawings om- almost only suggested what the world could contain and you could imagine much more. Um as kids, we were super fascinated by it. I don't know if I actually read the books. My brother was reading the books as a kid. But a seminal moment was the Rankin-Bass uh, Hobbit production as a TV special, which we also had, the, uh, there was a record of. You could listen to the record over and over again, which had a lot of the the, the animated movie on it, you know, the soundtrack and the dialogue and stuff. But there was an amazing sense of magic toward uh, Bilbo Baggins and the Lord of the Rings and the Ring Wraiths and uh, just think about like Led Zeppelin um, referencing the Ring Wraiths are out and black <laughs> but Gollum and the evil one went off and took away with her right that sort of naive uh, joy of referencing this fantasy world and I think that uh, that kind of magic and it, it was just sort of this nerdy joy to the whole thing, um, right, is something that I feel uh, was still present maybe a little bit in the Peter Jackson movies. But, right, something like when I talk about magic, it's sort of a charm, a sense of charm that, right, There's a you're given enough to set your mind afire with imagination about these fantasy worlds. But when it's all delineated, when it's all represented, like in a movie with special effects, right, it could never really live up to what you built up in your mind. Though I would say I did like the Peter Jackson movies, and I know Tolkien purists were very upset with them, especially The Hobbit, which became a trilogy, I think. Um, low battery, really? Where's my Where's my batteries? Um, let me get some batteries here. Uh, but anyway, so it's interesting that Amazon sought to buy the rights, as I mentioned. I did some more research on it, and it really was this sort of... Uh, it was a case where at some point, and I don't really have the full story, 
Tolkien himself needed some money, so he sold the, the rights to Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, only, not his other works about Middle-earth, to um, someone, I forget exactly who, and they, uh, you know, those are the rights that have still been around and out there. You know, sort of bad contracts made that everyone sort of regrets after the fact. But I feel like Lord of the Rings is one of these things that it work when it works, it's great. And it's very similar in that way to Star Wars. Um, it's just very hard to identify what is it about it that, that's working as characters, as storylines, imagined worlds, and how it relates to our current society and culture at any given moment. Right, it's a very complex balance, right? That uh, sort of exists, and as we've seen with Star Wars, um, Disney, who bought Star Wars, making these absolutely terrible movies and TV shows, with the exception of the recent Andor, which is actually quite good, which has been one of the biggest TV surprises in recent times. Really good, Andor is really good. The show that I would have not expected anything from is actually. Some of the best Star Wars uh, since since the prequels, um, right? It's because it's Star Wars seems that it's kind of simple. It's kind of like the 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 old pulps, the old movie serials, cliffhanger endings, sort of overly dramatic and corny, right? But it was really very complex. Right, I think society was ready for kind of a return to those simpler uh, cinematic thrills in 1977. Somehow it all just came together and worked. But I think that Disney has shown that they uh, something that was great, they just simply are not grasping what made it great, or maybe they just don't care, and are producing apparently very successful, like The Mandalorian with its baby Yoda, Grogu, and stuff. I thought that show was generally terrible, but it was very popular. In fact, I was reading an article that horrified me, which said that, like, uh, though Andor is getting much better critical reviews, people are not as interested in it as they as they are with The Mandalorian. And I think it's just going to encourage them to keep going in, in, in like, sort of the, the more juvenile uh, direction with the Star Wars stuff. I mean, the bottom line for all of this is there need to be likable, relatable characters in situations that make some kind of sense, right? I I feel that Disney and with especially the Mar I don't think the Marvel stuff has ever been good in terms of the movies and stuff. But it almost feels like they're they have a checklist of what they want to include and the story doesn't make any sense, the characters aren't particularly likable. Anyway, this brings us back to uh, rings of power, right? So now this is a unique situation, right? Working with the the Tolkien estate, Amazon spent two hundred and fifty million dollars on the license, and uh, had essentially free reign to create something, uh, basing it on what current what existed in the books, Lord of the Rings, and its appendices, and The Hobbit. So a lot of stuff 
was mentioned from earlier times that they can use if it's mentioned in the appendices or in Lord of the Rings, but they can't use anything that's only mentioned in the Silmarillion, which is kind of maddening to think about. But anyway, and I did read the Silmarillion, and it's fantastic. I recommend doing it as an audiobook because all of the elvish, the, the person reading the audiobook pronounces anything like the Einlindla. Remember, and even Brian, my friend Brian, who's a huge Tolkien scholar, he's like, it's not Einlindla, it's Einlindula. Okay, I, I guess the guy reading the audiobook got his elvish wrong. I'm sorry. Anyway, apparently they bought the license and still didn't know what they were going to make. But they decided on setting it in the Second Age, thousands of years before the story that we know. And uh, so essentially they had carte blanche to create a whole new um, stories as long as they didn't contradict what already existed they had pretty much a blank slate almost a blank slate right so that's actually not a bad idea sort of carve out a part of the history of middle earth and it's interesting they always mention the term middle earth in the show right they're like this let us go to middle earth it's so weird because i never thought that the characters themselves knew it was called middle earth right Kind of similar in uh, it's interesting because there was a sh- there's a show that was very in a very similar genre, House of the Dragon, yet another fantasy prequel on HBO, which is a prequel to uh, Game of Thrones, which I initially was extremely skeptical of, but has turned out to be very good, very good show, great characters. Uh, it's a really like a family drama. And there's a lot of horrible stuff that goes on. Hor- every episode has horrible stuff in it. Um, and uh, But it's really good. I mean, I'm so impressed by House of the Dragon. I can't even tell you. It's so much better than, than Rings of Power. It's a very good show. And it's another surprise. Like Andor, House of the Dragon has been a very, very pleasant surprise how good it is. These days when you're really good television, you got to sort of savor it and appreciate it because there's so much bad television. But interestingly, they they kind of uh, incorporated this concept of the Song of Ice and Fire, which is the name of the book series of Game of Thrones is based on, as some sort of prophecy, the the, the Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> Just sort of the way they incorporated Middle Earth into, into, into uh, Rings of Power. <coughs> and I don't know, maybe they did refer to Middle Earth in the books too, I don't know. But I just thought it was interesting because Middle Earth always sort of... I remember there was actually like a comic book store or a game store called Middle Earth down in Montclair. And there was actually a pinball machine from Atari called Middle Earth as well. I don't know if... I don't think it was licensed or anything. It's just called Middle Earth. Atari's uh, dismal pinball division. Yes. Anyway, um, so they sort of had, right, free reign to create whatever they wanted to create. And what they wound up creating was a big mess, honestly. I would say that the show, because the first eight episodes, the first season is done, and we're not going to get another season for a couple years. The show is, to me, it feels most like a lost opportunity. Um, It's not terrible, 
I know a lot of people are saying it's awful. It's not awful. It would almost be better if it was just really bad and it would be this cautionary tale of a massive company spending a billion dollars on on something, but it's only to ruin it. But it's not that bad, but it's not good either. You know, it's it's almost um, exactly like a, a, you know, I grade it like a C, probably C minus. Um, it's watchable and it's okay, but, you know, and I, I always want to think about it because I know some people were asking me, I was been really critical of the Star Wars shows. What if it wasn't Star Wars, right? Would you like it then if it wasn't Star Wars? It was just a, an original thing, but it was, you know, with a baby Yoda character. And, you know, in a way, maybe I would like it more. Um, there's been a bunch of fantasy series recently, like, uh, was um, <clears throat> what is that one? Ah, that's, what 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 am I thinking of? Uh, hold on, I'll think about it in a second. Ah, yes, the Wheel of Time, right? And I I, I think like to me, Lord of the Rings, I'm sorry, Rings of Power feels a lot like the Wheel of Time. Though the Wheel of Time, I think, was better because it just had better characters and kind of more interesting situations that you could sort of sink your teeth into watching it. But it felt like kind of like on that level. Um, as it as it is, and also The Witcher is another show that I think is much better than Rings of Power, but it's so, they're all fantasy shows. But these shows basically are better because they just there's characters that you care about, and the stories make some kind of sense. Although the use of uh, you know bad writing is in all of them to some degree, but I feel like it. As I mentioned, it's mostly a lost opportunity because in Rings of Power you see glimmers of what could have been. You can tell there's really talented people with with a great vision that were involved in bits and pieces of it, but it feels like it was put together in a corporate boardroom. And if you work in if you've ever worked in a corporation, like I work in a corporation, you understand that phrase, too many cooks spoil the broth, is so true. Certain things are just, certain levels of excellence are just not possible in that kind of environment because there's just too many people involved. That's what the show feels like. But certain things like the art direction of the of the um, Harfoots, right? It really felt almost like, what was it, like the Terry Pratchett kind of fairies kind of look. There was some brilliance there. And I feel like the best character in terms of the writing and in the casting was Elrond. And I really love that character and his relationship with the dwarves and was it Durin? I think that was his name. Um, that was one of the stronger pieces because, again, they're characters you kind of care about. Um, I feel that, in general, though, the worst part was the uh, the elf that was in love with a human woman and her son in that village, Right. Those characters were like the worst because like I didn't care about them at all and I was hoping the orcs would just kill all of them and some other mention some other people mentioned that as well. Right? That said, the orcs and their leader, I forget the guy's name, was kind that was kind of interesting. You know, the guy who was one of the original elves that was twisted by Margoth to become an orc. Um again, that that's what's frustrating about it because it's not as bad as people are saying it is, but it's not good. And it it feels like, I don't know how they would have done it, but if they could have just 
maybe spend another year developing it or something. I don't know how they would have done it. Again, more time wouldn't have done it. I think you need just a creative vision of one person to kind of make it work like that. But anyway, it's frustrating because of what it would have been. And it has none of that feeling of magic and charm that I'm talking about from the early days of the fantasy genre in the 70s and 80s. Um, you know, Galadriel, I feel, is especially the actress that played her, Mor- Morfid Clark, I think her name was. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that. Morfid Clark. Uh, she was really a good actor, but the character, as it was written, was kind of unlikable, extremely unlikable character. And that really characterized most of the show. The characters were unlikable, and you just didn't relate to them. You didn't care about them, right? Um, Harl, Halbrand, that guy, the king of the south, who wound up being Sauron. Ooh, spoiler alert. Sorry if you, yeah. I would imagine if you didn't want spoilers, you wouldn't have been kept listening to this. But yeah, he turned out to be Sauron. Um, and all of the people in, in Numenor, right? They were all, the art direction is beautiful. The costumes, and in general, the special effects overall, the design of things was great. But these characters were sort of, not just unlikable, but just sort of despicable in some ways. And you did, I didn't want to spend any time with them, and I didn't want to know more about them, and I didn't care what they did, right? Which is sort of the hallmark of bad writing. Um, I liked some of the elves. I thought uh, Celebrimbor was good, and uh, the elf, the elven king was okay. Um, but in general, so like... Uh, then you had the Harfoots and the Stranger, the guy who fell from the sky, who sort of maybe is is Gandalf. They're implying it's Gandalf. <coughs> I mean, it's an Istadi or wizard. Um, my brother pointed out it was kind of like uh, the Dougie Jones thing from Twin Peaks, the third season. This character that sort of lost his memory through through some process because you know he was. And I think it's true when they, you know, in true, in the Tolkien's work, the like Gandalf was a, a Maiar, sort of a godlike being, kind of an assistant to the gods, um, sent to Earth as a as a as a looking like an old man. But he lost a lot of his own memory and sense of self in that process in the original Tolkien work. So anyway, I felt that was. The Harfoots were especially unlikable, and the whole tone of that was off. I liked the stranger, the guy playing the character of the stranger, or Gandalf, or whoever he is. Um, but it was just plotting and annoying. And if anything, they were they would be kind of like the Ewoks or the comic relief characters of the show, and they just were not. Um, they just were not likable in the, in the least. I'm trying to think if I'm there's and that's there's so many different storylines and ideas, everything intermingling. Um, it's kind of a unique uh, failure in television, considering how important the Tolkien license is, and how they basically carved out for themselves a near blank slate to start from. That this is what they came up with is kind of sad. And uh, I honestly don't know, you know, 
what they could have done or how they could have fixed it, but it, it felt like essentially they just didn't get, not just that they didn't get Tolkien, that they didn't get that the key to these shows is likable characters. As I do think that in uh, House of the Dragon, the characters are all very flawed individuals, but they're very fleshed out and you feel for them. It's the acting is great and the writing is great. The guy the guy who played the king of Viserys was so great in the role. And what a great character. I'm talking about House of, House of the Dragon now. Um, all, of the, all of the characters in that show, I think, are just, it's just more, it's just better done. Anyway, so I know I've been reading some reviews that are just utterly trashing. Um, and it is confusing in a way. Watching um, The Rings of Power is sort of confusing because it's, it is such kind of a monumental failure. And in a way, because it's so mediocre and not that it's utterly terrible. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it's this kind of, I don't think there's ever been anything quite like it. If it was just a moderately budget, if it was a regular show, like The Witcher or like The Wheel of Time or something, it wouldn't seem as much of a disaster as, as it actually is. But it's, it's not an utter failure, but it's a failure. Thank you. In other news, uh, computer game Marvel Snap has finally been officially released to the public. I've been playing it using a slightly underhanded method of uh, downloading an APK and just running it on my phone. So I've been playing it for a while now. This basically takes the collectible card game genre and kind of uh, distills it down to a simplified uh, version. It's... uh, the, game, the first game by uh, a new company called uh, Second Dinner, I think it's called, run by Ben Brode, who was the director of Hearthstone, uh, a great collectible card game that I've been playing since 2014. This sort of follows the model, sort of pioneered by Magic the Gathering, where you play a card. Each, each player creates their own deck. Uh, Magic the Gathering for... Um, many formats is a 60-card format, so, but you choose what 60 cards you want in there, and then you fight someone with another 60-card deck. And um, so the deck building is a big part of it. Um, I play on Magic. I play Brawl, which is a 100-card format, singleton, so you can't have any more than one of each card, which is similar to Commander on paper. I guess you can also play Commander on online. I don't play online, Magic online. But anyway... I know when I talk about this stuff, it's sort of like all this jargon, but um, yeah, so the main games I play are Hearthstone and Magic, and also I have played Legends of Runeterra, but two is enough to take up your time and energy. Um, In fact, because I've been playing so much Overwatch 2 lately, I kind of had to back off Hearthstone a bit, so maybe two daily games where you're trying to grind challenges is enough. You know, um, Marvel Snap basically is based on the Marvel superheroes. So each Marvel superhero has like a card with certain powers, and it's a twelve-card deck. 
and um, it's played over the course of six turns usually. There's three locations. Each location has various powers. So the first turn, the first location is revealed, and the other two locations are remain secret. Second location is revealed turn two. Third location revealed turn three. And uh, so it, the games are pretty fast. They're like about three minutes long. So it, it does really distill it down, and it works in many ways. I think it's just card acquisition where the game gets a little bit weird, as I'm now on level 1,347 in pool three. I mean, I and I play a couple times a day usually. I might not see a new card. I might see a new card every one or two weeks, which is a bit disappointing. Um, there's so many decks I can't build because I just don't have the cards. You get the cards randomly per pool. But that said, it's a really cool game. If you're into Marvel superheroes um, or collectible card games, it's worth checking out. Uh, it's on, I think it's on all the different phones, Android, iOS, and it's on PC as well. Apparently it's on Steam. There's a PC uh, version in beta. I haven't even checked that out yet. Marvel Snap, if you're so inclined, check it out. I've been mildly enjoying it. It's just... It's a good game, like, if you're on the toilet, just to play, if you want to play a quick game, you know, play Marvel Snap. It's a toilet game. Yeah. Yeah! It's a bit later now. So today is uh, uh, the first time in baseball history that um, two rounds of the playoffs are going to be played on the same day. This is sort of the nerdy side of baseball that I like. Though, as I detailed on the baseball football central recently, I'm not into baseball, but it's the one sport I could have been into. Um, as I mentioned last night, the uh, the Yankees-Guardians game was rained out. So today, around 4.07, they're going to play the American League a Divisional Series, the final game. It will be decided. And then at 8.03... The Padres and the Phillies will begin the National League Championship Series. So a divisional series and a championship series being played on the same day for the first time in baseball history. I like I like those kind of those kind of nerdy stats. So I finally got my birthday present to myself. Yes, it's in a round square modular copper knuckle bone. What a beautiful little object this is. Yeah, so there's this whole world of these little objects that you carry around with you, um, part of the everyday carry world. And I've been fascinated by the simpler ones, such as the Beglaries. Um Simplest of them, I actually got one that was a uh, from Butterfield Machine. These are small companies that have like metal work, metal shops. You know, uh, just two uh, copper beads, basically connected by. Um, a small length of black paracord and then you flip it around in your hand you can do all these tricks and stuff and I really like it especially handling copper um, it reacts with your skin in a certain way they say it's antibacterial and it warms up in your hand and it just has a great feel copper has a great feel um, I also got this uh, a knuckle roller from a, a company called Scutworks in Canada it was the Scutworks Pie. They seem to have gone out of business shortly after I ordered this. So it's a, it's a it's a copper rod that's tapered in the middle, 
And I really, I always really liked it. I liked handling it and just flipping it around in my hand. It's it's sort of a fidget toy kind of thing. Um, this one was kind of silly. It's the Copper Pie because it's 3.1416 inches long. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's a good length though. It's kind of it's kind of fun. Um, I kept I keep checking if that company's coming back, but they're gone, man. It was Scutworks.ca, you know, S C U, and they put the C U in in parentheses because. CU is the chemical symbol for copper. Why the hell isn't it CO? Why is it CU? I know, it's some other language or something. Anyway, this one is actually, I think it's getting a patina or something. It's very much, it's like a darker orange than this brand new brand new uh, copper. But again, the brand new copper looks like a new penny, and this one looks like an older penny. It gets darker with time, right? The patina. Um, so a round square is also from Canada. This stuff is big in Canada, okay? Um, they're one of the big companies that make these uh, little dexterity toys. And I remember I, I got the um, the titanium like prayer beads from them. That's a cool thing, too. I really enjoy that one. But this one I've been resisting for a long time, the knuckle bone modular, right? Um, let me go to the page here. It's around. Let me see what the web page is here. Aroundsquare.com. And uh, this is known as the knucklebone modular with com- these components. And there's, there's, you can sort of mix and match and create all these different ones. So a while back, I was on some sort of website about this type of thing, Everyday Carry or Viglaries or whatever. And I saw someone that had a little carrying case and this really cool little uh, knuckle roller, which was uh, these... Um, you could almost see part of it because it was in this kind of little leather satchel kind of thing. And uh, it was kind of a darker metal in the middle. And then this, the, the bead was sort of tapered. And I was always sort of obsessed with that. And it took a while. I finally realized it was the around square knuckle bone. These things are not cheap, though. So, you know, this is the titanium, right? So if you're going to get the uh, the titanium, let me see if I can find it here. Yeah, the titanium I think sandblasted. Yeah. This little tiny piece, $25. And then the titanium, the um, skinny knobs are like $45. So it's rather expensive. But I really wanted to get this at one point. So I figured, why not get the copper version? Because I love copper so much. Copper was slightly less expensive, but it's still 35 for the ends. And then uh, the regular copper grip is uh, 20 so it wasn't that expensive but you know well it depends how you define expensive but anyway this is this little object so it has three pieces the middle part with these screws if you can unscrew the um what are they what's what's the wording for this these uh, skinny knobs right and it's very precision machined right and then you have the middle part. And, and I could buy other parts for it, but I just like this one object. So it's basically three little parts here. And um, and it, it has a little hole in the top so it can actually stand up. Even though the top is rounded, the hole gives it a little bit of a flatness so it can stand straight up. You can actually put the whole thing straight up. So it's a really cool little object. And no kitties. No, 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 no. Don't play with my stuff. And you can actually turn this into a Biglary. They actually give you some paracord with it. Let me see what, what I got in the package. No, kitty, no. 
No. How do you know I have little objects over here that you can mess with? Kitty, no. I'll put them down here. Mr. Mojo loves to knock things off a table like most cats. Yeah, so it comes in a it comes in a little box. And there is a little um, drawstring carrying pouch for the the object. And uh, I, I put all those these little extra things in a Ziploc bag to keep them together. And what else do we have here? Handwritten note. Thanks, Frank. We hope you love the new pieces. Enjoy the Around Square team. Nice to do. Here's an Around Square business card. Matthew Herbert, PhD. Nice business card. And we have some Around uh, some stickers from Around Square. style stickers and a bunch of paracord if I ever do wish to turn this into Big Larry I got like a burgundy like a like a steel blue and a green paracord so that's really good to have I didn't know they were going to throw in the paracord that's very nice of them so let me reconstruct this back with the uh, the precision it feels really good the precision screws <laughs> And this is sort of like a companion object, you know? And I feel like this one, compared to the Scutworks Pi, it's a bit shorter, and but a, a slight bit thicker. You can hear the two touching. Old copper and new copper. But this one, I do think I could start to learn to do these uh, tricks. No, no, kitty. No, no, no. Don't, don't play with that. He sees, he sees that, that little tied-up paracord and wants to play with it. Yeah, I need to I need to learn to do the, the knuckle bone tricks with this. So yeah, I'm able to flip it around a little bit. But yeah, this is such a cool little object. The weight of it in your hand and the balance. And then especially as the copper heats up. And then the, it has that distinctive scent. Uh, as it's essentially it's your skin reacting chemically with the copper. Which they say it does kill germs and stuff. But there's just something about the feeling of handling a little copper object that's very cool. And this one is much superior to the Scutworks. Because the Scutworks is, while it's cool, it's this this form factor that I have now is really much more much more enjoyable. Especially it's a little bit smaller and it's a little bit heavier around the edges. It's just a great little companion object. The modular. And of course, let's see what other copper items they have here. Just these these more spherical uh, uh, copper knobs, but I'm not really interested in that one. I don't know why. I don't really don't like that form factor. I like the the skinny ones because I I saw that image that one time. It really just very very much something that I I, I just love the look of it. The skinny knobs. <laughs> but yeah, if you go on the page, you'll see the group image towards the right is that original one I saw with the titanium and um, this is exactly the same thing just with copper happy birthday to me yes an obscure little copper object that I like quite a lot hey it's later on now I'm on the porch it's a bit chilly out here having a cigar from the other day 
I, I smoke my cigars in uh, sessions. You know, each, each cigar can be over the course of several days, you know. So as I mentioned, um, there's a conspiracy topic that is very interesting, the, the Tartaria conspiracies. And I know I've been talking about it. I, I became aware of it earlier this year and was talking about it on the show here and there. This is related to mud floods, stolen history, alternate histories, and things like that. And uh, there's been a lot of recent developments in this theory that uh, remind me of a similar pattern with other uh, of these types of theories or these other phenomena, which is to say there is a legitimate um, question, right, or a potential social movement, right? The idea is that it's anticipated by the powers that be, the Illuminati, whatever you want to call them, and they have this particular strategy to deal with it, right? And um, the strategy is to, instead of trying to block this particular thing from happening it's to actually make it happen but guide the direction it goes in right and what you do is you sort of uh, muddy the waters and you associate this topic with lots of negative aspects and that's how you kind of defeat it right I know I know this is kind of vague but I'll give you the, the examples I have because the same thing's happening with uh, Tartaria so of course the um, the old uh, uh, Laurel Canyon conspiracy theory, which again these are all theories. None of this is proven. I acknowledge that this is these are just ideas, right? In this case, the idea is that in the early '60s, right, the changing global situation, the Cold War as it was, um, there was this projection that the youth. The young people, the t- you know, late teenagers and y- young twenties, young people, would start to really be against this endless warfare the United States is involved with. This is particularly for the U.S., and that there'd be a youth anti-war movement that would be extremely strong, and a whole generation would reject endless warfare all around the world, right? Because of the structure of the Cold War, gar- uh, you know, this sort of uh, guaranteed nuclear destruction. What was that? Mutually assured destruction. Um, the weapons manufacturers and all of the profit, those profiting from war would need to have these smaller, endless wars going on, as we saw Korea, Vietnam, and then all the Middle Eastern stuff, Afghanistan, Iran, uh, not Iran, Iraq, yes. You see what I'm saying. So the idea is that anticipating the youth anti-war movement, they actually created a youth movement that where anti-war was one of the aspects of it. So the whole hippie movement, right, the whole uh, counterculture movement, which included anti-war sentiments, was created. And that's the whole Laurel Canyon thing. You could read about it. There's a book called Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon, right? The idea is that the military-industrial complex, the intelligence divisions, everything, they took their own children, right, and sent them to... uh, Laurel Canyon in Los Angeles and made, and had them start this social movement, right? And what happened was the hippie movement developed through music, cultural aspects, but negative 
visions, negative aspects of these, these young people were mixed in with this. The hippies were lazy, uh, stupid, slovenly, uh, unmotivated, not part of society, right? Dropouts. And this negativity, if you look at a lot of the mainstream media, like TV shows, comedy shows, even movies from that later 60s time period, they're endlessly trashing the hippies and making fun of them, right? Indelibly uh, fusing together this image of this, this stupid, dirty, smelly, idiotic hippie persona with protesting the war, any kind of wars, right? And in the end of it, they kind of, uh, you know, with um, in the Charles Manson murders, hippies murdering people now, the whole thing kind of reached ahead and it poisoned the well. It basically associated anti-war movements with hippies, right? And it, and it seriously debilitated or held back a, a true youth anti-war movement, right? So this strategy of taking the thing that you're targeting, mixing it in, mixing it in with almost cartoonish level um, negative stuff, and they become so associated that the original thing is is ruined in a way, right? And yes, this the idea is that for some unknown reason, there's a group of very powerful people out there that feel they need to control the course of what's going on in the world. I always wonder. If you had that level of power, who cares? Just let, let the chips fall where they may. What do you care? Why are they so motivated to do this? I've speculated on this. Why do they care? Enough to go through all of these crazy machinations. I don't know. Anyway, the next topic is flat earth, which is something that you know I've been interested in for a long time. Not because I think the earth is flat, but because I question the nature of the world we're living on. The inclusion of flatness is something which is the discrediting part, right? My initial question way back when in the 1990s was, are, is what we're being told about the nature of the world we're living on actually true? Are we actually living on this ball hurtling through space in this solar system, right? That was my question, and that remains my question, right? The only group that I found even back in the 1990s that was addressing this question was the Flat Earth Society back then run by Charles Johnson and he was profiled on an episode of Real People. That's where I had actually heard of him and heard about the Flat Earth Movement. So the base question is, right, without giving an answer, the question is, are we living on a giant ball floating through space right or not I don't know the answer there could be so many different answers right it's a computer simulation it's a it's a multi-dimensional construct and yet the only answer you ever see is flat earth it's a flat disk with a dome over it right so again it, what's interesting about this is being that they were the only game in town. I did join up to the Flat Earth Society back then. I still have my, my card. That group kind of fell apart as there was a fire. I mean, the guy was living in a trailer out in the desert in California. His trailer caught on fire. He lost all his records. They were trying to put the Flat Earth Society back together. Then this guy dies. So, you know, secret his secretary, Jill A. Fear, 
tried to keep it going, but it, it didn't work. Fast forward till about 10 years ago, five years ago, I don't know. Suddenly the flat earth mania um, explodes on the internet. Much to my surprise having that I have a history with this. And again, this is characterized by a bet this to me is a bad answer to a good question, right? To me, anyone questioning the nature of the world we're living on is shunted towards this one specific silly theory, the flat earth, right? Being that it's the only one, I, I looked into it, right? And just like with Charles Johnson, because he had a something like, oh, 100 proofs the earth is flat. And a lot of it was just these absolutely horrible arguments. Well, one of the proofs is my wife is from Australia, and she filed an affidavit that was, that was uh, signed by a notary public that when she was in Australia, she was not standing upside down. That's foolishness, you know, honestly. Um, he said, in the Bible, it says the earth has a dome over it called the firmament. Yeah, no, that's not a good argument at all. So this modern-day flat earth movement is even worse. The amount of utter horseshit arguments that they come up with, at this point, it seems like they're almost deliberately coming up with crappy arguments, right? Like, if if gravity really exists, how can birds fly? Or if an airplane, if, if an airplane, if the earth is, is, is really spinning, can an airplane just go up and let the earth go underneath it? Listen, these are all horrible arguments. And you see them over and over again, right? So in this case, the question of, is this world really this ball floating through space? Or is there some other answer? There could be so many other answers they have developed this one stupid answer, very similar to the cartoonishness of the hippies, these kind of obsessed people with these really bad arguments, flooding the, the, um, the field of this topic, the nature of the world we're living on, with only flat earth, right? And only, and, and only really bad arguments. And there's a few good arguments, but mostly these bad arguments. And um, in the end, what happens, right? Anyone that even questions the nature of the world we're living on gets completely f directed to the flat earth stuff. And the, the flat earth stuff is just absolutely ridiculous. And it kind of shuts down the whole question. No, the question still remains. I don't accept the answer of the flat earth. I've put forth other potential answers, but the question is not, is the earth flat? Is this a constructed world? Is this a world that was made using some kind of a technology, right? The, the one side of the answer, is it a computer simulation? That kind of, kind of cancels out all the other questions. If we're living in a computer simulation, it doesn't matter. It, it could be a computer simulation of a ball floating through space. Who gives a shit, you know? It could be a simulation of a flat earth with a dome over it. Who, who cares, right? My best guess is that um, if this world is indeed constructed, which I tend to think there's a possibility that it is, and again, I don't know. It may be exactly what science tells us it is. But if it is, it's be, it has been constructed using methods and techniques that we are not familiar with, right? that 
um, the nature of its construction is is beyond comparison to things that we do understand. And I do suspect that it involves the usage of higher dimensional geometries, right? So this easily could be a sphere with a larger sphere outside of it with things projected on that sphere, exactly like they're saying with the dome. It could still be a sphere. Um, there's a lot of different things it could be. But I, I just wanted to use that as an example of a legitimate question where there's seemingly a concerted effort to provide a stupid answer to a good question and ruin the question, right? The idea is, should we protest wars? That's a good question. If the answer is, oh, you're a bunch of dirty hippies. What? Uh, what is the nature of this world? Is it really a ball floating through space? What are you, a flat earther? Are you dumb? Right? And it seems to be a pretty effective method to guide people away from various questions, right? And just as a side note on the, the flat earth stuff, NASA, the U.S. Space Agency, and all of its very questionable footage is very interesting, but it does not prove one way or the no another any of this stuff. Yes, that's a whole separate issue. The f how a lot of stuff that NASA puts out looks fake does not mean the Earth is flat. Okay. Now we get to tar Tartaria. Tartaria. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Tartaria. Uh, <clears throat> and this relates to the question of is our history accurate? Was there Were there civilizations in the past that were using higher technologies? Were there different sorts of beings on this planet in the past, right? All these questions, and we know this has been asked in so many ways, looking at the pyramids, ancient temples, ancient legends, and as I've talked about in, in you know, the past year, couple years, you know, the idea that all of the world's myths, religions, um, mythologies, etc., seem to tell the same story world over. And the fact that we now have access to so much of this information preserved from ancient times, from all over the world, from disconnected societies that seem to tell us a story of people, us, and our relationship with this other race of beings that are more advanced than us, right? It's told in many different ways, but it's the same story. Seemingly, another race of humanoids in possession of higher technology that is very involved in our situation here, right? Tartaria is a theory that relates to that, but it has a similar cartoonish, stupid, deliberately poorly argued style to it. And I'll admit, I was taken in by it. I found it very fascinating at first. But I've, I think I've seen it for what it is now, and now that it's kind of turned and this other thing happened with it. So this was basically looking at photos from the recent past. We're talking um, much, much of the 19th century, right? Photographs from the 19th century, from the 1800s, right? Of structures, and especially around the turn of the century, 1900, um, structures that existed, world's fairs, right? How it seemed that there were buildings were sort of sunken into the ground, a mud flood or something else. And I think that it's an interesting theory, but what it became, what they began to theorize was that there was this technologically advanced society all over the world 
called a Tartaria. And yes, if you look at old atlases and old maps, there was a, a region in Asia known as a Tartaria. This theory, which really came out of the woodwork just a couple of years ago, I think like 2018 or 2019 or something, theorized that this society had uh, colonized the entire world so that, for example, like San Francisco, when um, when the American settlers reached out there, like there already were these huge like buildings built there and stuff. And then everyone was trying to hide the history of it. Um, especially saying that you know, Westerners would not have been able to build any of these buildings. They didn't have the technology, the cathedrals of Europe and things like that. And yes, personally, when I went to Vatican City in 2019 and went to St. Peter's Basilica, which was built in the 1400s, it's kind of boggles the mind to think it could have been built with hand tools, this enormous structure. And I do still think there's a lot of questions about that. But this theory focuses more on the 19th century and how in recent history, history has been completely falsified. There was this worldwide society that was based in Asia that was uh, somehow suppressed through some sort of worldwide conspiracy, right? And uh, this is what they were sort of um, putting forth. So now I see it as that same thing, right? A good question being uh, answered with a very bad answer, right? So this guy, Awaranon, now known as Awar, he used to be Ewaranon, E-W-A-R-A-N-O-N, now known as Awar, A-E-W-A-R, did a series that started with the flat earth stuff and then got into the tar Tartaria stuff. Though he says he never used the term Tartaria, he talked about how all of these were impossible structures, they couldn't be built, etc., etc. So, <coughs> apparently... This conspiracy theory has grown, and recently, as I talked about on the show, Awar did a pivot, and he said he was seeing some issues with the assumptions made by, th by these answers. So he's in England, and he started going around looking at the actual structures, the cathedrals and the the ancient buildings that he could get to. And he said he felt that the Tartaria stuff, where they're saying it was impossible to build, that there were no photographs of these buildings being built, etc. He started doing some research and found it's not easy to find these photographs on the Internet, but there's lots and lots of archives that are not digitized on the Internet, which do have, that do show detailed construction photos of these cathedrals. And especially the use of uh, kind of like a cement, kind of a artificial stone to mold a lot of these intricate sculptures and stuff. So he found that he was able to very easily debunk a lot of the Tartaria arguments. What's interesting, though, is that Tartaria is one conspiracy theory that um, the social media networks are not banning. If you talk about Flat Earth, they'll either ban you or they'll put these warnings up on your your videos or your posts, oh, Flat Earth is an archaic theory. But Tartaria seemed to be encouraged, right? So, recently, uh, AWAR started doing videos with uh, a guy named Wooden Nichols, who also had a pivot away from Tartaria. And now, 
a, a new theory has emerged from these guys and others, an anti-Tartaria message with kind of a sinister connotation. They found that <clears throat> in China, there were uh, academics that began to declare that all of Western history was falsified in order to um, diminish China's role in the, in, in the development of the civilized world, saying that uh, the West, Europe, for example, Europe and America had, were very, Europe especially didn't develop anything and they got everything from China. Tartaria is basically in a territory that could be considered China. They're saying now that Tartaria is a Chinese conspiracy theory by the Chinese Communist Party meant to diminish, uh, you know, the history of Europe, yada, yada, yada. And Wooden Nichols just the other day was kicked, kicked off of YouTube. His, his channel was uh, deleted and he had to go on these other websites. I don't, I don't really go on these alternate websites. I guess there's like these video sites where they don't censor you as much. What are they called? Rockfin and Rumble. I don't. I don't really go on those sites. So, right now we're getting to the point where this um, this theory now again has reached the point where any questioning of right different civilizations in the past, different beings that may have been on our planet have been indelibly combined with this shitty theory of Tartaria. And now they're saying the whole thing was a communist plot. It, it almost, I mean, it, it almost sounds like a parody, like a, a comedy skit. Oh, it's a, it's a communist, it's a communist plot, <laughs> right? So if you're questioning, were there other civilizations on this planet? Was there higher technology in the past? Now it's been indelibly melded in and linked with this Tartaria theory which apparently is still raging on they're saying TikTok is the big one as I mentioned earlier like TikTok which is owned by a Chinese company has been really pushing the Tartaria theory to get people in the West to essentially in a roundabout way admit that right all of Europe's uh, history is false and, and the Asian history is correct so I've seen the same thing with the hippies, the flat earth, and now with Tartaria. And now it seems like they're sort of closing the book on this one. And it's making it a lot harder to ask these good questions because they're providing all of these crappy answers. So anyway, <clears throat> I still think the questions are legitimate and should be asked. But I will admit that this method, if it is a method being used, is quite effective and shutting down those good questions. All right, on to other topics here. Overwatch 2, a video game I've been playing for a number of years now. It used to be a game where you bought it, I don't know, it cost something around $40, give or take, and then you could play it forevermore. You would get all the heroes as they came out, and the only thing that might cost money is if you wanted to get cosmetics, different costumes for the characters and different voice lines and things like that. They had loot boxes, uh, which were kind of like, you know, random packs 
and as you played, you would get loot boxes. You'd get quite a number of them uh, for playing, and you could randomly get uh, a lot of the different cosmetic items for the characters. Really well done, by the way. Um, then they released Overwatch 2, and... Uh, got rid of loot boxes and have this battle pass system and now basically you really can't earn anything you have to just buy it like you'll get a few things in the battle pass <coughs> right and uh and things cost like a lot of money so like one costume for a character might cost like twenty dollars here's the shop oh look there's more stuff in the shop wow um, so I had bought, like, sort of the pre-purchase pack for, like, 40 bucks. I got 2,000, uh, units of, of currency, which is about $20 in real money. And, uh, I hadn't spent any of it, because I really don't want to be spending any more money on this game. I think on the original game, I might have spent, like, $5 trying to get a Junkrat, uh, skin at one point. You know, the, the Chinese firework one, more China stuff. Um, but this, this new system is really quite, uh, bizarre. And, uh, look at this, a brand new one, Cyber Monk, uh, Zenyatta. He's, he's like a, he's like a Zen robot. So, um, a new thing they have is called Weapon Charms, which is almost like one of the silliest things, but it's kind of cool. So on your weapon, there's a little, there's a little spot where a little charm can hang. And these now have become, like, super exclusive. You can't just buy them. You have to buy them while they're on sale, and then they might not be on sale for, like, another year or something. You might never be able to get them again, you know? So it gives you this sense of urgency. So I had the $2,000 of virtual currency, and they were selling... You know, I think I talked last time about the kind of Blade Runner origami unicorn they had, but I didn't really like the look of it. Another one they were selling was a skin for... Let me bring it up here. Ash, who's this kind of cowgirl character with this giant robot, Bob. And they had a, like a Robin Hood skin for her and Bob, which is actually kind of good looking. But the main thing is they had the um, weapon charm of the coin pouch that I thought looked kind of cool. So I'm like, all right, let me just buy it. So I attached the coin pouch to all my weapons. It's like a little brown coin pouch with a gold arrow uh, logo on it and like a rope tying it up and then gold coins at the top so now all of and I had to go through and put manually apply it to all of my all of the weapons so like here's Junker Queen she has it uh, on her uh, shotgun there it is the, the, the little coin pouch hanging there so now I have my coin pouch and now it's not available anymore right so at least I got it but I had I had the virtual currency, but yeah, I I find this really ridiculous. Of course, it's pointless to. Ha I mean, to, of course, you want to have these little novelty items in the game, but I don't know. Ultimately, it seems kind of unhealthy. But at least I have my coin pouches. Hey, it's a bit later now. So I'm going to give you an update on my eye. Uh, my right eye had a sty, which I never really understood what that was, but it's a kind of like a it was like a pimple on your eyelid. Um, very annoying, but they said it might take a week or two to clear up. 
Uh, it got a little worse about at about the one week mark, but now it is uh, much better, and uh, I think it's pretty much almost healed. So that's good. I haven't had to use eye drops. It was interesting using eye drops. I have clear eyes, which is good. Um, yeah, but this cold got a bit worse. So, as you heard, I was up at the middle of the night with weird dreams. Hey, sickness gives you weird dreams, which is one of the fringe benefits of being sick, I suppose. Anyway, uh, Bleach is back. Yes, Bleach is one of the uh, most popular anime series or manga series out there. And I did uh, the entire series. It's funny with some of these shows, <coughs> like with Naruto and Naruto Shippuden, the big three was Naruto, uh, Bleach, and One Piece. And I did all of Naruto and Naruto Shippuden and all of Bleach, and sometimes I think I would sort of switch from the anime to the manga, or vice versa, but Bleach was great, it's a great show, and it's been years since I finished Bleach, but now it's back with a new series called Bleach, uh, Thousand Year Blood War, and uh, it's cool, it's it's um, coming out on Hulu and other streaming services, and the second episode just dropped. Um, and it's basically the same time. So it's like coming out in Japan the same time as coming out here. So only two episodes are out. But it's uh, it's a very good show. Uh, similar to Naruto or, or One Piece, it's sort of the Japanese take on the superhero genre. In this case, it's about the Shinigami or, or the death, you know, like Grim Reaper kind of people. Um, and... Uh, Kurosaki Ichigo, who's this guy who has, like, super powers. And uh, this is a ton of really cool characters, right? There's the World of the Living, Soul Society, Hueco Mundo. There's these hollows, which are sort of like spirits of the dead that turned evil. And it's a whole thing. A very good show, though. So it's cool that it's back as an anime. Apparently there's a, a manga series of this Thousand Year Blood War. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool, you know. With with anime and stuff, I kind of go through waves and <coughs> go through, uh, you know, I've been meaning to get back to One Piece. I never got, I, I got stuck on a filler arc in episode 209, actually, on One Piece. One Piece is still going, you know. It's, it's like, uh, that's the one with the pirates that have these superpowers. Monk, Monkey D. Luffy. Didn't I mention him earlier? I mentioned, I mentioned him on something. Yeah, that's weird. No, I meant yeah because of the, uh, yeah that weird character I had this morning at four something a.m. Yeah, he he he's a rubber man. He can stretch. That's his superpower. Kind of like Plastic Man or Elongated Man or Mister Fantastic. He has like the stretching power. Yeah, man. I love this nerdy stuff. I love it. So I have a new frivol I came up with the past few days. Frivol, of course, is an idea that uh, can be produced. The final version... What's, what am I trying to say here? A frivol is an idea where just telling it is the final product, right? It doesn't have to go on my mental to-do list. I don't have to do anything with it. I have a lot of ideas that can just be frivols. Now, of course, they could become something more, but generally frivols are just frivols. 
So this is an idea for a casino table game. You know, you go to a casino and people are playing games like blackjack, roulette, right? Let it ride, all these different table games, right? Where there's generally a table with green felt and you put down your chips and it's usually cards, but it could be other things. There's some that have dice, some have, um, obviously roulette has a ball and a spinny thing and um, many are card-based. This one is called uh, Trixie Tell, T-R-I-C-K-S-Y, space T-E-L-L, Trixie Tell. I just came up with a name of I, I wanted to make a name of it just because it would be better if it had a name. So I spent a few minutes here coming up with the name Trixie Tell. The idea is, now, first of all, this sounds like something that I would have had in a dream, but it's it wasn't from a dream. It just sort of came to mind. So the idea of Trixie Tell would be a story about this company in the 1990s who tried to create a new kind of casino table game for the burgeoning world of casinos, right? Of course, in the U.S., so many more casinos with the Indian casinos and stuff. So in the 1990s, they would have developed this new table game called Trixie Tell, which would basically have these figurines of these various characters and it would be almost like a board game kind of thing these different spaces the characters could move to and it would be basic there might be like a special deck of cards that the dealer would draw that would sort of direct how each character moved so there would be lots of different possible situations and the characters would be different kind of um i you know archetypical characters like the hero you know the rebel the bad guy, the damsel in distress. I know that wouldn't fly in these days, but we're talking about the 1990s now. The sort of uh, silly sidekick, right? So there'd be a bunch of different characters. And the thing is, like, each casino that had a different theme, right, like uh, like they, like this company would make custom figurines for that casino. So, for example, for, like, Luxor, they'd make, like, an Egyptian version or the Wild West casino would have, like, Western versions, Right. Uh, uh, Caesar's Palace would have like Roman versions of these various like archetypical characters. And the idea is that, um, you know, you would bet on certain situations happening, like the hero rescues the damsel or the bad guy beats the hero or, or the silly sidekick gets in trouble and you'd place your bets. And then there'd be like a certain set. You, once you place your bets, they draw a number of cards each card would make the various characters move to these different spaces and cause all these different situations. And after, like, they drew, like, six or eight cards or something, then they would pay off the bets based on what happened. So, like, the idea is that, like, um, some things could be much less likely or more likely depending on where, like, the beginning of the... Like, each round would start where the, right, the character figurines would stay in their places from the previous round so lots of different things could be possible, right? So I thought that was a cool concept. So it would be sort of the rise, the story would be the rise and fall of this company that made Trixie tell. <coughs> Trixie meaning kind of tricky and interesting and tell, like telling a story, Trixie tell. Um, so that's just sort of the the sketch of it. You know, I don't, I don't know that I need to go any further, but I thought it would, it just seems like it would be kind of Thinking about it, it does sort of seem like it's something that could have or should have existed. It feels like something that does exist in some sort of alternate 1990s.
a new casino game based on these figurines moving around this this board on this table. It sounds like it, it, it sounds like it should exist. It rings a bell in some way. But in this reality, I don't think it exists. Trixie Tell, come on. It's a good idea. It's a good frivol. In other news, um, this Sunday will be the final appearance of the 13th Doctor, uh, played by Jodie Whittaker. It's also the end of the showrunner Chris Chibnall's tenure on the show Doctor Who. And uh, it'll be a return for Russell T. Davies, a, a previous showrunner, and a new Doctor. Uh, there will be a regeneration scene, apparently. We may or may not see Shudi Gatwa as the 14th Doctor. Um, some old companions, uh, Ace and Tegan, are coming back. Um, the trailer doesn't look very promising. It looks like it's going to be horrible, as usual. Doctor Who is another one of these these things like Star Wars or Marvel Comics or Lord of the Rings that just seems to be getting worse and worse these days. But who knows? It may get better at some point. I'll I'll watch every episode of Doctor Who because I'm obsessed with it. And of course, as I mentioned, I made a fan film back in 1985 of Doctor Who. So anyway, um, I really didn't know when this was coming. It's been such a weird time. They didn't really announce the release date until recently. But yes, the final Jodie Whittaker Doctor, Power of the Doctor, this Sunday, October 23rd, 2022. I'll watch it. There's always a few little tidbits and a fan service in there for longtime Doctor Who fans to uh, enjoy, if nothing else. It'll be cool to see Tegan again. I really, I didn't really watch a lot of that uh, Ace with the Seventh Doctor. But Tegan was definitely one of my my first, you know, I was really into the Fifth Doctor era with Tegan. So it's cool when they bring back those companions. All right, I put the game on. The baseball game's about to start. I'm actually pretty happy that I care about a baseball game. Come on, Cleveland, beat the Yankees. I have a feeling the Yankees are going to win, but I would much prefer Cleveland wins. That'd be very cool. Ooh, a package was just delivered. I wonder what it could be. So, yeah, I'm going to be watching the game. And uh, it just takes a long time for a baseball game, right? A couple hours. The Guardians. Anyway, let's walk away here. Let's see what was delivered on the porch. What could it be? It's a large package. Oh, look, it comes with Rings of Power tape. They're promoting their show. They were even promoting... Uh, the rings of power on the, you know, the, the startup screens of the various Adobe programs like InDesign, Illustrator, and Photoshop. They're doing, like, uh, cross-promotions. They should have worked on making a better show. Ah, yes. Yes, it's my delivery of right rice. Yes. 
I got a bunch of risottos. Right rice risotto. Nice. We got two six packs. I like taking two packs at once. Right rice, of course, is a kind of a uh, what would you call it? An alternative rice made from vegetables, like lentils and chickpeas and peas and stuff. It's really good. It's like a good generic food product and pretty easy to make. So I like to have it as an old as a good standby food source. Get a. It's 4.07. I think the baseball game's about to start. Base hit. It's already started? Who's on? Wow. Cleveland is on first base. Wow. Here we go. And they're, they're at Yankee Stadium. Come on. Let's get going. A bunt. Ooh. Guardians. <laughs> I guess people get used to Guardians instead of Indians. Yeah, what was that all about? All right, the game is on. Winner take all. Well, next to the next level, the championship series against the Houston Astros. Alright, let's see about this right rice risotto. Gotta choose which one I'm gonna have. Let's see. Two boxes each. Should be six different styles of. See, right rice risotto is a little bit different than regular right rice. So the basil pesto, the creamy parmesan. I've had that one. Wait a minute, two creamy Parmesans. I thought they were all different. Creamy cracked pepper. Wild mushroom and another wild mushroom. How does that work? Hmm. What about this box? Is it the same? Wild mushroom, wild mushroom. Ste creamy cracked pepper. Creamy Parmesan, Creamy Parmesan, and Basil Pet. Alright, so there's only four different versions. I don't know, that creamy cracked pepper looks pretty good. I think we're gonna have to have that one. Like I said, I'd like to make two uh, two at a time so I have some leftovers. Yeah, baby. Creamy cracked pepper. So what does it say here? Italian style risotto made writer with the power of veggies. We love risotto. And that's what inspired us to create a modern and dairy-free twist on classic risotto. Now you can enjoy a creamy, flavorful bowl of risotto that's easy to prepare and pack with more plant-based protein and fiber with way fewer carbs. 
Enjoy our culinary-inspired creamy cracked pepper risotto, reminiscent of a cacio e pepe, with a bold flavor of freshly cracked black pepper. The flavor of freshly cracked, but I mean, it's not fresh. Obviously, if there's pepper in there, it was cracked a long time ago. Whatever. Let me make it. So, hasn't really been that long. It's still the first inning, but it's been disastrous for the Guardians. It's 3 nothing Yankees, and only one out, and the starting pitcher, Civale, has been sent out of the game as he did a terrible job pitching. And now there's a new pitcher in, Hentkis or something? Uh, yeah, it's not looking good. There's also uh, a Yankee on first base. The one-two. Temporarily into baseball. Come on, Guardians, come back. Guardians, come on. Please defeat the Yankees. It's not looking good. It's not looking good. Terrible start. Uh-oh, they're playing the music. That means that the worst part of watching sports is coming up. The commercials. Let's see what kind of garbage commercials they'll have on here. Oh, there's no commercials yet. Okay, good. Oh, but I think I have to make my... Ooh, my God! The hell, a wild pitch? <laughs> Cleveland's having all sorts of problems. Is it boiling? Yeah, because a couple times I, I let it boil too long, and then I had to dump it out and put more water in, because I didn't know how much water I lost to the evaporation process. Yes, Mr. Vegas? Kitty? He's fascinated by the water dispenser in the uh, refrigerator. He doesn't really quite understand it because he, I think he wants to drink water from there, but it's just really not appropriate. <laughs> Kitty, it's, it's a water dispenser on the fridge. It's not for kitties. Uh, by the way, the cracked pepper uh, flavor doesn't appear to contain any cracked pepper unless it's part of the natural flavors. Yes, the dreaded natural flavors ingredient. Ay, ay, ay. Kitty, no. No. It's close to boiling, but not quite there. What do they say? A watched pot never boils? It does eventually, though. That was one of my jokes when my, uh, uh, if you want to call it a joke, when I had my uh, poetry reading, my one and only poetry reading, which there is a video of, and that might, we may get to that eventually. That probably, that, that is maybe in uh, Curly Gecko's musing. Um, I'm like, I'm like, do you ever notice? A watched pot does eventually boil, no matter what they say. <laughs> kind of new wave humor, you know. <laughs> like, if you're really dedicated, just watch it. It eventually will start boiling. Like, it's kind of boiling, but it's not really. It's not like a rolling boil, you know. Kitty, stop. What is he doing? He's very, very hyper. Vegas, you're very hyper. Come on, kitty. I have to make my risotto. See how the baseball game's going here. Do do do. Eesh, not looking good for the Guardians. All right, it is risotto time. 
Still 3-0 Yankees, bottom of the second. Very creamy. Mmm, looks good. Smells good. Let's try some vegan risotto. Mmm. It does have a real cracked pepper taste. And there does seem to be a few flakes of pepper in there. I don't know why they just don't write pepper in the ingredients. Why, why is it, you know, I, I, I don't know, mystery ingredient. Mmm. No, but seriously, it's really good. I love right rice. Yum, yum. Hey, it's much later on now. It's 8.48 p.m. It's 48 degrees out here. Sitting on the porch. And... The Yankees won. Cleveland lost. It's kind of depressing. I was so hoping Cleveland could have beaten the Yankees, but... I don't know. The rest of what's going on... I'm not really super interested in the rest of the games, but... I guess the Phillies versus Padres sounds kind of interesting, but... I don't know. Yankees versus Astros? I don't know. I mean, obviously I want the Yankees to lose, but I'm not a... I don't know if I love the Astros. What am I talking about? I'm not even a baseball fan. What am I talking about? Well, the Padres never won, ever won a uh, World Series, so that'd be kind of cool, a first. But even though I know people that have some uh, roots in San Diego, I, I don't really have any connection to San Diego myself. Kind of running out of my uh, cold medicine. I ordered some more for tomorrow. I found some in like sort of as you know like a, a little pouch that I, I use for travel sometimes. I kind of figured I may have a, an Alka-Seltzer Plus in one of those. I found one, so I have like two more for tomorrow. I have to hope it, it comes, or I can go to the store, you know, I, I, as, as well. But I need my cold medicine, damn it. Anyway, uh, yeah. With that, I'd like to say thank you so much. For patching into this episode of the Overnightscape. Sorry about my voice. Obviously, I have a I have a cold. So, anyways, we're here in the Onsug, a radio station inside a book. Go to Onsug.com for all your Onsug needs. O N S U G dot com. Buy the book, download the book as a PDF, and you can get involved as well in a show called Overnightscape Central. Every week, a new topic is put forth by Mister P Q Ribber. Please check it out. We'd love to hear from you on the show. Of course, uh, the Onsug is a unique project. It's non-commercial. Massive archive, over 13,000 hours, nearly a year and a half of audio. Unique style, the without any particular topics, other than Central, which there's a different topic each week. Uh, kind of a rambling, rampling style. And uh, we're very focused on people listening in the near and far future. These are all things that make our project unique. It's also a radio station inside a book. Who else has that? No one, I don't think. And you can help, of course, wherever you are in space and time. Help preserve the Onsug. Help spread the word. This is, in a way, a, you know, a something of a time capsule, perhaps, from a from a, a very unique time in history and in the multiverse and that's another question is anyone listening in other dimensions or other worlds I'm assuming if there are there's some sort of rule you're not allowed to like let us know in this earth that you're listening 
that's wishful thinking. I know. I know that's wishful thinking. Well, they are listening, but they there's a rule that they can't talk to us. Maybe they're not listening. <laughs> I don't know. I would like to think they are. Well, the future is a kind of another world as well. The near and far future. Yeah, this is quite a project. And uh, now that now that you know about it, you can enjoy a lifetime of listening pleasure with Fiancuk. Please do, yes. And now my my mind is a bit confused from all the cold medicine I've been taking. Where am I? What's going on? Ah, at least there's one familiar sight and sound approaching. You know it. You love it. It's the other side. Good morning. This is WMAQ-TV Channel 5, NBC Television in Chicago, welcoming you to another day of outstanding television programs. WMAQ-TV constantly strives to maintain high programming standards in the public interest. The programs telecast by this station may not be used for any purpose except exhibition at the time of their telecast on receivers of the type ordinarily used for home reception in places where no admission, cover, or mechanical operating charges are made. Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. He told the Ten Woodman that he planned on asking the Oz for some brains and a heart also. But having tried them both, he would much rather have a heart. After having the opportunity of sharing life closely with children and adults with mental disabilities, as the director of Misericordia Homes North and South, I agree with the Ten Woodman. If a choice had to be made, the heart would win. Needless to say, the integration of both gifts would be most desirable, but that is not always the reality. Mentally disabled children and adults are often masters of all things pertaining to the heart. They are truly pilgrim people, placing their hope in God and others. They are not capable of making elaborate plans for tomorrow, so they learn to enjoy the moment, live for the moment, to place their future in trust. They know how to receive, to accept, to love and be loved. They keep alive mystery. They are without prejudice, so they listen with no preconceived expectations. There's a sense of wonder about them, and they stand in awe of simple things. They show us how extraordinary the ordinary really is. Who can question their purpose? In a technologically oriented society, too often devoid of basic human values, their presence among us is a constant reminder of that which is good. People who are open to their many gifts are constantly amazed by their generosity and their love. Their presence have enriched our lives at Misericordia a hundredfold. We are most grateful to them and to God. Good 
reporting to you today from the World Psychiatric Association regional meetings hosted by the American Psychiatric Association, and they are discussing critical issues in psychiatry for the 80s, as you can see from this program. And one of the important sessions deals with psychiatric problems in children, and I'd like to... Western cut gold rivers, not riding with the rest. It's a smokeless tobacco with a taste of the golden west. It's been a long time. But it's real, Jim. Yeah. One more ride, Adam? Maybe. As far as the river? No, Western cut gold river brand is spreading across the land. Christmas Day, a time for fun on the Sunday matinee. Today, see the story of the world's greatest storyteller, Hans Christian Andersen.
another exciting glimpse of a living legend in the making. The Summer of the Big Kahuna. The Big Kahuna's welcome at L.A. International Airport was gala indeed. The boss jocks broadcast the word of the Big Kahuna's arrival to all Los Angeles and an excited throng gathered at gate 82. Gary Mack, with many Tahitian dancers and drummers, assembled in front of the crowd inside the terminal building. The Jet Clipper touchdown. The passengers came toward the gate, constantly looking back over their shoulders. Then a feather cape apparition electrified the audience as drums and dancers welcomed for the first time to Los Angeles in all his pristine glory, the Big Kahuna. Stay tuned to Boss Radio for another episode in the adventuresome trip of the Big Kahuna. Night Street Cage
Chicago use on charges of possessing nearly one million dollars worth of Mexican heroin. And as expected, Evanston Mayor Edgar Veneman last night vetoed an ordinance which was to establish a police review commission. The city council had approved the proposal earlier this month. Chicago's Department of Consumer Sales is investigating whether cab drivers are receiving kickbacks from massage parlors and bars for delivering customers to their doors. Charges are being made that cab drivers favor these fares. Four Kankakee area men linked to a sawed-off shotgun distribution ring have pleaded guilty in federal court to firearms violations. And there are still no suspects in that double murder on Elm Street three weeks ago. The only survivor of the hammer attack is still too incoherent to tell police about the incident. Chicago area weather today, cloudy with a high in the low 30s. Tonight, cloudy with a low in the mid-20s. Tomorrow, continued cloudy and not much temperature change. Right now, it's 30 at Midway, 30 at O'Hare, and 29 on Chicago's lakefront. That's the latest from News Center 5. I'm Royal Kennedy. Have a good day. Welcome to Real People. Tonight, in Orlando, Florida, we'll visit the annual contest where they call wild turkeys. You see, there's no way to write to them. Jeff Willard meets a modern King Kong who enters the Empire State Building and goes completely ape. Mark Russell reports on a man who, on behalf of the Polish people, planted a solidarity protest on the doorstep of the Russians. 
and we'll go to Harrisville, New Hampshire, where people race, rocket, dress, and decorate zucchini squash. Skip Stevenson goes to Key West, Florida to find a cute but gooky collection of crazies, cuckoos, and songs. Bill Rafferty visits Kingston, Oklahoma to meet an 85-year-old waitress who does a popular radio program direct from a phone booth. Sarah Purcell talks to the highest-ranking woman cadet officer in West Point's history. And we'll all meet a lovely London lady who puts her dogs in a doghouse where her dogs really put on the dog. All this and a lot more on Real People. But now, here are the Real People people, our hosts, Sarah Purcell. Our ribald rascal, Fred Willard. Skip Stevenson and his cranky pooch, Hobo. Bill Rafferty. And our man in Washington, Mark Russell.
ain't coming back. Not all season? Never. He's through. They never come back. I don't believe it. I could bring him back. Forget it. Even if you could, he wouldn't be worth anything. He's lost his grip. Well, Mr. Brock, really, I... Tell you, forget it. In this racket, when a man is through, he's through. Keep your eye on things, Spider. Sure. You gotta do something for me, Spider. What? Sit down there. You gotta send this wire tomorrow morning. Larry Lee. You know the address. Come back at once. Need you. And clothes, fines, $50. Keep you brought. Save. I've got that much saved. Yeah, that's about all you have got saved. Don't argue. Send it. But he refused to come for me. A wire won't bring him. This one will, because I'll be there when he gets it. You gonna be in Memphis tomorrow? You bet I am. Leaving right now. But you can't run out on the show. What'll Brock say? He'll save plenty, but he'll get over it when I bring back Larry Lee.
traffic. I can't read the that. The boss. I can't read that. The baby. The dog. That does it. Calgon, take me away. Lose your cares in the luxury of a Calgon bath. Calgon softens the water to leave skin feeling silky smooth as it lifts your spirits. The soft, luxurious, fragrant world of Calgon. I love it. Pamper yourself with a Calgon bath. Lose yourself in luxury.